Hello and welcome to the Audio Epics Storytelling Podcast once more. My name is Domine and here is my lovely wife, Eileen. Hi. And um, we're having tea again. Me, I'm going for the potpourri again and I'm having la vie en rose. Uh, I'm going for the green tea with bear. I love it. Hmm. Okay, that sounds good too. So, um, this week... Our storytelling podcast will be about... I have no idea, actually, what we're going to talk about this episode. Uh, uh, yeah, we'd have to find something something new, something cool, something original, perhaps. Original. Right, that's it. Let's talk about originality in storytelling. Right. Okay, so let's start our talk with a movie that's famous for being criticized for not being original. Avatar. Avatar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, people have called it Pocahontas in space, or a Dances with Wolves or Ferngully ripoff. Yes, lots of uh, derogatory references to um, the Smurfs as well. For me, um, uh, the story actually reminded me a bit of the movie The Last Samurai also, but especially Dune. Um, there's a lot of uh, elements in the movie mm. that I recognize from the from Dune, actually. Mm, now that you mention it. But I'd say, all in all, um, that this criticism is kind of overblown. Well, it takes us to an interesting question. What is originality, really? Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, where we should sort of start our discussion. You know, whenever you discuss something, the first thing you should do is... Ask the question, what is it, right? Yeah, and then look it up in the dictionary, which we did. <laughs> yeah. And Cobill Dictionary mentions that something original is imaginative and introduces a lot of new ideas. Aha, okay. Imaginative and new ideas, okay. Um, if you put it that way, then is the criticism towards Avatar justified? I'd say yes and no. Well, the fact is, since 2009... James Cameron and his company, uh, Lightstorm Entertainment, have received a flurry of lawsuits from uh, others claiming that Avatar was their idea. Okay. Well, he had been working on the story for several years, from long before Disney's Pocahontas or Ferngully came out. And he wrote... Right. Ferngully is quite old. Yeah. <laughs> but it took him uh, a lot of years to, to, uh, to realize it was actually his Lord of the Rings Avatar. In fact, he, he, uh, in the end, he had to write a 45-page sworn declaration in which he once and for all laid out the details of how he came up with the idea. So, um, What I think is strange about this is why would you want to sue someone whose idea is so terribly unoriginal, claiming that he stole this terribly unoriginal idea, his rip-off idea, from you? Well, let's not forget that it was extremely, extremely successful. Oh, it was a money thing. And yeah, I think that because same thing happened with J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. Um, she was accused right. of stealing ideas, etc. You know what? Personally, I think that in an age where most <coughs> blockbusters are reboots of sequels, of remakes of existing comic books, <laughs> you can't really complain too much about... Avatar being reminiscent of Pocahontas or Dances with Wolves or The Last Samurai. Right. Actually, I think that's the reason why we saw it in the movie theater six times, right? Because it was really a period when there were a lot of stories that had been done. And mm. this actually, when, when we saw the trailer, it looked actually like a very original fantasy story, which was, it had been a long while since we'd seen it. That. To me... Avatar, it's an age-old story. It's it, Yes, it is Pocahontas in space. It is Dances with Wolves. It is The Last Samurai. But you know what? Those are all classic stories. It's a classic story that's just been redone in a sort of, um, you know, a, a, a new setting. And that's really what made Avatar original was yeah. the setting, which was, you know, in terms of design and in terms of you know, um, all the creatures and, and the language and all of those elements was very original and, and well-developed. Exactly. 
Uh, I love the setting. Uh, th there were a bunch of original elements in the story. Like, for example, the story starts with um, the twin brother. Uh, right. He died mm -hmm. of the main character. And and he actually was trained to use this avatar. It was, yeah. it was made up for his DNA. And, mm -hmm. and they don't want to waste this project because it cost them a lot of money. So they actually send the brother, who is a Marine in space, yeah. That's the first bump in the road, you should say. And, and I thought it was really original, a really original yeah. start of the story. And uh, the, <laughs> the music, uh, James Horner's soundtrack is really, really great. Um, and I'm, I'm a huge James Horner fan, and I think Avatar is one of his best scores. Oh, I love him too. Even though he does have... Uh, recurring stuff. Yeah, like actually, we could talk about James Horner in terms of originality. Uh, James Horner is a very interesting guy uh, because he copies himself a lot. Yeah. But he's got this unique sound, this unique signature James Horner sound. He, whenever you hear music, even though it's all orchestral, you just you recognize that James Horner sound right away. It's his, very warm. And his da 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 da. <laughs> and his da 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 da. <laughs> yeah. And, and he does it in every movie. It, da 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 da. It's awesome. But I, 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 yeah. don't, I don't mind at all, actually, because. No, me neither. Uh, he makes every score sound differently, yeah. but still very James people, Hornery. Yeah, people complain. Oh, he's, there he is again with his bagpipes. And his <laughs> and his soprano and his uh, and his sort of the the heavy piano notes, but all of those elements are what I love about James Horner. His music uh, really touches me emotionally. Um, oh, we should actually do it, uh, another podcast on uh, music, especially, yeah. and, and involve Peter in that. We yeah, I, him to talk yeah about I know. He, he wants to do it as well, so we should just get it organized. Now, personally, I, I do have my issues with Avatar. I mean, back in 2009, when it came out, I, I loved it. I was crazy about it. But since then, things have changed for me. Um, I've changed quite a bit in, in my worldview And there are some elements in Avatar, I would say, that perhaps on a philosophical level, I would disagree with. But I think it's still just, you know, a really cool, awesome movie. If you awesome don't take movie. it too seriously, I think, you know, the Avatar was criticized both by the left and by the right. The left complained about Avatar being racist and the right complained about Avatar being too anti-military and anti-American and whatever. <coughs> Whether those criticisms are justified or not, I'm just leaving that in the middle. I personally think that you can just enjoy the movie uh, without having to pay too much attention to those things. Exactly. And we're still going to do uh, another podcast on worldview and political views in storytelling yeah. as well. So uh, more about that later. Yeah. Uh, something else we want to talk about in a, in a next podcast is language in storytelling. Right. And I think uh, James Cameron does a really good job when it comes to language, uh, both having well, studied linguistics. He, he hired a linguist to yeah. create the Navi okay. language. But, but it was awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I didn't blame him for doing that because Tolkien was the first to come up with that. It's, it's okay. It was a different language and <laughs> it worked. And I think yeah. if people criticize the movie too much, I would just say, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Avatar is, um, it's kind of, I, I've, I've got mixed feelings about it now, but um, I remember it fondly, I have to say. Yeah, and I still do feel inclined to defend it because I never understood why people were this harsh for Avatar, while mm. lots of popular stories could have gotten the same criticism. Right. Like, no one ever called AI Pinocchio in the future or something. Uh, yeah, well, it is Pinocchio in the future. Yeah, but <laughs> no one complained about no, it. No, that's true. Uh, maybe because it was very open about it. Maybe because it sort of um, wore that on its sleeve. Uh, I guess, yeah, perhaps. And after all, Star Wars is awesome and, and based on the typical hero's journey. So mm. you could say, in a way, it's been done. And, and when Lucas took the story away from the hero's journey in the prequels, 
then people complain as well. I think just people like well, to Well, on the whole, it's, it's always a kind of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. I would actually say that the story of the Star Wars prequels is the most original of all the Star Wars movies. And why would you say that? Well, precisely because it um, moves away from just being the hero's journey, which is great, by the way. I certainly don't have anything against that. But um, with the prequels, there was more of a sense of world building. There was more of a sense of history. And politics. There was yeah. sort of a much wider scope to it all. Um, there were all kinds of themes on, you know, there were political themes and, and yeah, it did feel richer, good and evil, too. and it, it was it was much more ambitious and it was much more. Um, it felt more like history. Yeah, and, I, I would agree, and but I'm biased because I actually I'm one of those few who really watched the Star Wars movies in the in the chronological order of the movies. So I actually watched Phantom Menace first and then moved on to the older movies you never had the shock moment when you found out that darth vader was luke's father no but i already knew that because the simpsons spoil it for me <laughs> <laughs> wow what an ending who'd have thought darth vader was luke skywalker's father ah thank you oh, thank you mr blow the picture for me yeah well you can't really blame them it was probably like 20 years after the empire strikes back came out but um, it, knowing that did create a attention for me yeah that i knew this, right. this innocent boy was yeah. going to turn out that's to be darth that's vader. one of those things that we talked about in the yeah. episode on uh, prophecy and destiny so listen to that to listen to that episode again people uh, it was a good one <laughs> So you could say that thanks to The Simpsons, I yeah. did have that experience as well. I've always been a staunch defender of the Star Wars prequels. I'm, I'm absolutely not ashamed to say that I think they are as good as the originals. They're just different. In some ways, I actually prefer them, to be honest. I actually prefer the prequels in some ways over the originals. Uh, in other ways, I, uh, the, the originals are better. But as a whole, I think those six movies... They form a, a great saga and a complete saga and one that absolutely does not need any more movies or sequels at all. Yeah, and I, I never got the nostalgia goggles. Um, mm. And I would say my, my absolute favorite of all the Star Wars movies, not including the Disney ones, because I don't really consider those Star Wars movies anyway. Well, they suck. Um I would say uh, my absolute favorite is uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, for me too. For me too. So, um, getting back to yeah. other stories. Uh, yeah, like um, we talked about in a former podcast, in, in several, I, I believe, um, a simple story can be a really good one. We gave Castaway as an example, I believe. That's not a very... Original story, right? A man who gets stranded on a desert island. Yeah, it's been done. <laughs> it's been done, <laughs> it's yeah, been it's done. been done. So, yeah. But it was a great movie because of what they did with it, which is just, you know, make it really immersive and, and, and you know, having yeah. a great actor in it. And So, um, another example, The Hunger Games. We haven't talked about that before, right? <laughs> No, there are a few things we never mention on this podcast. <laughs> like One being Brandon Sanderson, the other being The Lord of the Rings, and then The Hunger Games we also never mention. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't hide it. I'm a real big uh, Hunger Games fan. Really? Yeah. And uh, everyone probably knows that the idea to the story came to Susan Collins when she was watching television. And she, she was actually um, switching between a reality program and a documentary about gladiators. And that kind of ah. clicked in her mind. And she thought, wow. Right. And these are two existing elements. But it makes a very cool, actually a brilliant combination. Hmm. So then that makes me wonder what's wrong then with Pocahontas in space. Uh, I think Brandon Sanderson said that when you, when you combine two recognizable stories, that can be a very successful pitch to an agent. Typical one, uh, just saying something. Jurassic Park meets aliens, you know? Yeah. I mean, why not, you know? Have, uh, have uh, people capture aliens and put them in a zoo and then the aliens escape 
<laughs> for yeah, example. Or, or a spaceship full of dinosaurs, perhaps. Like right. Oh, movie. yeah. Wow. Or, or maybe Pokemon meets Harry Potter. That's kind of how I imagined Fantastic Beasts would be. But it turned out to be something quite different. Right? I, wish it, I wish it had been uh, sort of Pokemon meets Harry Potter. I don't know. But, the, I mean, what we got now, Fantastic Beasts... I really liked sort of the the setting and the world building that they had, but the yeah. story was a mess. The it, atmosphere was great. Yeah, the yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, but the story um, it wasn't about fantastic beasts, really. Nah, Not it was, really. It was they were involved, and I didn't care for the main character. Not really. I I was I was a bit disappointed too. But anyway, but, that's yeah, another that's another, that's another story. story. So I guess yeah. Um, there's nothing new and there's a sun they say so um it's been done but you can do it in a way that's original because of how you combine elements yeah right so why this obsession actually with originality i think personally that this obsession with originality is something very new we live in a culture today where ego personality plays a sort of central part to everything it's the age of copyright it's the age of intellectual property you know and and i know because i work in a in a library uh, in a law firm a law firm big enough to have its own library <laughs> and so i see a lot of um intellectual property books and um and cases and yeah, um it's a big issue nowadays right oh yeah yeah i mean <laughs> there's a lot of money to be had for lawyers in ip but you know you could wonder, you know, all these you know, copyrights and trademarks. And isn't it bad for creativity sometimes, I wonder? Mm-hmm. And also, it's sort of... I think it's, you know, as I said, we live in, an, in the age of ego and personality. The artist is a celebrity, you know? Mm-hmm. It's all about... The artist is someone you can put on a pedestal and look up to and admire. And In the Middle Ages, an artist was a craftsman and... It wasn't about him. In, you know, <coughs> painters didn't sign <coughs> their names under the painting back then because it was about what you were trying to convey, which was usually religious art. And, um, you know, you were trying to portray a story or a scene yeah. from, uh, from the Bible or from, from uh, the life of a saint. And and that, the topic, was much more important than the person who was making it. You know, True. That was wh- what yeah. it was about. And now we see people make smartphone pictures and then put their trademarks on there before they publish <laughs> it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> I think this, uh, this cult of personality, I think it really started with the modern era. Cult of personality sort of comes in there. And with that also this um, quest for the new and the original, you know, um, mm-hmm. never been done before. Because it's all about the human, the human artists mm. uh, in the central place. And then it gets worse and worse over time. And then you arrive at, you know, what they call modern art, uh, which you might say is only original, you know. Uh, it, it, there's nothing beautiful anymore about it there's nothing of of skill or um ability or 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 work even it's it's just a crazy idea that's never been done before like pasting stakes to a pillar or or suing toilets to horses and whatever you know (laughs) crap like that um and that's art nowadays uh, in the eyes of some people and even and I think now we're even at a, a stage even further than that, when they can't even be original anymore in their crazy garbage. You oh, know, okay. When when even the crazy garbage is crazy garbage that you've seen before. Well, uh, I have this idea where you glue a toilet seat to the ceiling upside down, and then put a light bulb inside and use it as a lamp. I think someone should do this. Please steal this idea, modern artists do. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Um, in fact, uh, it always reminds me of the fact that the Dutch word for art is kunst. Uh, it's like the German kunst. Uh, and it means something you have to be able to do. 
It requires skill and ability, and it's not just ideas. Uh, like Brandon Sanderson said, ideas are cheap. Yeah, uh, he did say that, and that was kind of a shocker, you know, sort of at the beginning of his. Um, but it's true. Of I his have course. about yeah. thousands of ideas every day. Lots of them are usually good ones, and I want to do something with them, and I end up doing nothing at all because there are too many ideas. A basic, a basic idea is, is cheap, uh, indeed, I say. What's harder is actually putting ideas together and making it all work and make it make, it make sense. Exactly. Um, that's hard. Yeah, because a good story takes more than just originality. Definitely. For example, you know, I was talking about uh, earlier on in this podcast, I mentioned how I always defend the Star Wars prequels. I don't want to be too controversial here, but I'm going to be. Um, <laughs> I, I really have very little regard for the Disney sequels. I, I kind of liked Rogue One. That was good. Yeah. But uh, the sequels, Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, I think are just garbage. Especially The Last Jedi. There's In, uh, in that movie, there's a side quest with the characters Finn and Rose, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where they have to sort of um, go on a little adventure. And their quest turns out to be a failure. And not just that it's a failure, but they kind of just get back to the main group of characters. And the whole thing is like, it didn't even need to be there, you know? Right, like, it, yeah. it was an entire side story that didn't add anything to the plot you could have just cut it out and it would have all it did was make the movie longer yeah and introduced a couple of characters yeah. and 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 it killed off uh, a villain from the previous movie who otherwise played no no part at all in this one mm-hmm. you know they killed captain phasma but you know what <gasps> spoiler yeah but who cares because you know, she, she's not a threat I, I in was this actually, movie. I, I, that was a f- the only anim- element of that side quest I really, really liked because I thought this was one of the most stupid characters I've ever seen. Yeah, it's history. like my brother said, um, she, Captain Phasma, feels like a character from Spaceballs rather than from <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Spaceballs was this uh, sort of 1980s uh, Star Wars parody that was really silly. Um, yeah, and I agree. Uh, it was a completely ridiculous character with the the silver outfit and. So that was good about yeah. the side quest that they, actually, not that I'm interested in any new sequels, but she's not coming back <laughs> <laughs> unless yeah. they resurrect her yeah, somehow. They might. They might do that. <clears throat> but yeah, um, tons of people have made videos on YouTube on why the Last Jedi is complete garbage, and you know. You can watch any one of them and they'll explain it better than I can. But it's true. It's, it is. And it's, it's objective, you know? I there mean, are... this is not a matter of taste or preference. This is just objectively bad storytelling. But... There are a number of really good arguments. And I've never heard any argument defending the movies that made any sense the... or that, was, yeah, and, that and... was any argument at all. The reason why we brought it up is because the one argument that fans of this movie keep using to defend it is that it's original. Oh, it's original that this quest turns out to be a completely unnecessary one that doesn't add anything to the plot. Because it's sort of... It's, um, it's subversive. That's the word that they use then, you know? It's not been done yet. Yeah, yeah. And, it hasn't and been done yet. And there's a reason for that. It's because, a, yeah. it, it subverts your ex- expectations and it sort of shows, it's sort of a criticism of predictable plot lines blah, where, blah, blah. Yeah, where, uh, where, where, uh, where the good guys win and yada, yada, yada. You know what? The good guys didn't have to win. They could fail in their quest. That wasn't the problem. What the problem was, was that they failed in their quest and nothing really changed because of that. Nothing was at stake. Nothing it didn't complicate matters. It didn't relate to the main plot. It was just a side story that they might as well just not have done. And that's easy to write. It's lazy to write. They just came back and it was like, well, better look next time. That's a good, a good example of uh, the argument of, of originality not being able to defend um, a story. And, you know, in, in modernism and even in postmodernism, 
um, but in a different way. Lots of stories are based on the grand narratives, like the Bible, uh, Ulysses, uh, myths, legends, etc. And people never bothered with that. For example, James Joyce, Ulysses, and you have Peter Carey's My Life as a Fake, which is based on the Frankenstein story, and you have numerous others I will not uh, talk about because I've, um, I've had to read them for years. <laughs> but, but what I did like about that is that people could take uh, elements from, from grand narratives and, and create their own uh, stories around them, Actually uh, trying to improve the original idea, uh, what they called emulatio. I think we, we should still be able to do that with mother, yeah. modern no, stories. I, I don't think that James Joyce was trying to improve on the original uh, Ulysses. No. Um, but, um, but, I, but I see what you mean, that they sort of incorporate these elements um, or, well, or even base the entire story on... Exactly, and the structure, story. and it was definitely original. I always was kind of intrigued with, um, with uh, especially modernist literature. But if I would read a book for fun, I would probably grab a more straightforward um, story that is more immersive. A lot of movies still do that nowadays, right? Um, take inspiration from these grand narratives, and it still works. I'd say Star Wars is is basically that also, you know, the hero's journey is is one of the mm-hmm. the the uh, I, when you say grand narratives, what you mean is probably uh, stories that have been with us for for yeah. thousands of years. Or yeah, that's actually what Tolkien did as well. Yeah, he put he took a lot of inspiration from from myths and legends. Uh, stories that are kind of part of our human makeup yeah. because they they run so deep because they've meant so much for so many people for so long yeah and, and um, even modern stories still do that from time to time and i i can still appreciate it i think it's everywhere <laughs> take et um the story <laughs> itself uh, reminds us a lot of um, the gospels the story of um et works on an emotional level because it reminds <laughs> us maybe without realizing it, of a story that's incredibly important to millions of people. Same thing is true in the Shawshank Redemption, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy Dufresne is, is basically also a, a Jesus figure. Perhaps even, uh, I think, a more successful one than E.T. So we've been talking about what's originality and what's original and what's, what's not uh, considered original. So, what would you say is an original story, Domi? Well, the first movie I always think of, and we've been mostly talking about movies this episode for some reason, um, but okay, the first movie I always think of when, when I think about something original is Up. Yeah. Um, you know, the Pixar movie Up. When I saw that, I thought this is the most original movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a very original story. Although it has uh, elements that have been done before, like like always, like the never meet your heroes. Uh, yeah, part. the themes are recognizable, yeah. and and they should. I think they always should be. I think you cannot avoid it. As you you shouldn't if come you have up a with good story. You you should never even do a theme that's never been done before or that's completely original. The theme should be something that's timeless um, yeah. and, and, and the, the story elements can be original. I, I, I think that originality is also something that uh, Pixar is typically good at in general because yeah. Inside Out was also a very original story. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was another really... Yeah, there, there are lots of well really done. original yeah. Pixar Movies. But they, they have they have this uh, sort of mantra over at Pixar, and that is story is king. That you know, story always comes first for them. And you know, it's true. Um, when you notice, I mean, that they have brilliant animation. But what do you really remember of their movies? It's not really just. It's not how well animated <coughs> they are. It's the story. It's the characters. I'm not saying that animation isn't important, but. Um, Story is king. Exactly. Um, well, the first uh, story that would come to mind for me as an, an original one would be Up as well. 
So uh, it, it's, it's striking, really. Uh, another really original story, I thought, uh, when I was a teenager, but still, I guess, is uh, Jumanji, which is kind of a board game fantasy movie. That's a very original idea, I think, yeah. Yeah, and, and later on they came up with Zathura, which was actually the same concept, but in space. <laughs> if you add in space, you always have... I, I can <laughs> I can so imagine how that board meeting went, you know, how, how the writer pitched it to the, the movie makers, you know. I can see him sort of, you know, going to the producer and saying, I got an idea for a movie, it's Jumanji in space. <laughs> And you told me it was from the same writer, right? I thought so, yeah. It was, I thought it was, uh, they were books first. And, um, I, d- I didn't know that. <coughs> <coughs> to me, it felt like it was from someone else because I didn't <coughs> really like Zatura. It felt like a B-movie. Yeah. Because it didn't have Robin Williams, probably. <laughs> Maybe partially because of that. But also because, you know, it had been done. Yeah, it had been done. I mean, you shouldn't be obsessed with originality, but when you do something that's exactly the same as what you did before, but then with one thing different... Mm-mm. Yeah, right. Uh, like when, um, when Dan Brown came up with this concept of puzzles and riddles and, and history... Yeah, that had never been done before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he, he did have a unique combination... Mm. And um, and you would say that his other novels would turn out to be boring and, and dull. But they, they did practically the same thing, but they were still different enough. Mm. And the twists were different enough. But then other writers tried um, writing Dan Brown-like right, novels, yeah. and they failed. He came up with the original genre of lying about history and turning it into a kind of techno-thriller. And then there is Jurassic Park which I think is an, a really original idea. Yeah, it's like a theme park versus archaeology, right? Every little boy's dream uh, in a theme park. So that's, that's double fun, that's double cool. It's just, you know, um, how many uh, really tense movies were set in a theme park before? Not many, right? Um, but... Wasn't there this Final Destination yeah. sequel somewhere? No, the, no, I mean, it's just it's just a, such an original idea. You you bring dinosaurs back to life and you put them on an island in a in a in a zoo basically, and yeah. they and then they escape and attack people. It's it's just a super original idea. There's nothing like it. Exactly, and somehow they managed to rebuild the theme park in Jurassic World. And you would think uh, it's the same thing all over again. But actually, I really liked the movie because they, they did something else with it. It was different enough. Yeah, the, the, I think the, the biggest difference uh, was that this time the park had been running smoothly for a number of years and it was full of people, full of visitors. And then something goes wrong and dinosaurs escape. Another series that's really original and that a lot of authors uh, have had to pay tribute to is The Twilight Zone. Right. And uh, we actually have this Canadian friend, uh, Jack Ward, and we visited him in Canada. Can we mention his name? I think he won't mind. And actually, he, um, he's the one who introduced us to The Twilight Zone because we had heard about it and we know the, the typical... The, the the music like <laughs> <laughs> but we'd never seen it and and I really have great memories of it uh, sitting on his couch and watching the Twilight Zone it was awesome it was it was in the middle of winter and uh, it was this great atmosphere yeah and uh, I, I think, remember it. I think our friend is like the biggest Twilight yeah. Zone fan that we know of. Yeah, he made his own audio drama series inspired by The Twilight Zone. So if you think you, you have to wait too long for new stories by audio epics, I suggest you check them out. Shadowlands, uh, his series was called. Yeah. By the way, I'm losing my voice. So am I. Since um, the start of this new year, we've been ill all the time. 
as sometimes it was Domine, then it was me, and then it was our little son, and then it was me again, and it was Domine again. And so yeah, Shadowlands by Jack Ward, check it out. Then I'd like to bring up the topic of originality versus what we in Dutch call Stijlbreuk. You know, this is uh, a word that we have, and yeah. there's not really a word for it in English. Yeah, a clash of styles, perhaps. Or yeah, or a, a breach. Uh, literally, Stijlbreuk means breach of style. Yeah. What I mean by that is, in an attempt to be original, you can do Stijlbreuk, which would be kind of like. Yeah, like for example, an, an X Files episode with a. An order of wizards taking Scully and Mulder through a portal in a fantasy land or something. Because a lot of weird stuff happens in the X-Files. But that's like a really classic fantasy element that doesn't quite fit the concept of the X-Files. Yeah, or the other way around. If you were playing Skyrim and suddenly you would find a spaceship there. Like a, a, a flying saucer. Yeah, it's possible there are a lot of weird mods out yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah, uh, definitely. And it would work in Fallout. They did it in Fallout. Yeah, <laughs> in Fallout it. 3, there's a, this um, expansion where where you get on board of a, a flying saucer, right? Yeah, and they uh, when you find a flying saucer, these aliens really have cool guns, so make sure to grab one. Oh, okay, I didn't even know that. Um, but um, it wouldn't work in... in um, traditional ancient fantasy world you know like like skyrim uh unless of course you know it's been established from the beginning that that's your concept like the movie cowboys versus aliens i haven't seen it but um that, that's a clash of of elements i i guess but you know that in advance i mean it's the title but if you if, i'm kind of curious about that <laughs> if you yeah me too i haven't seen it but if you start to you know Suddenly do something that really doesn't fit with what you were doing before? No, that, that's, that's not good. Yeah, like what if in by the end of um, The Lord of the Rings, they would not travel to the Grey Havens with ships, but they would take a spaceship? That would be really <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah, and then they'd stand on the shores uh, <clears throat> of the Grey Havens and they'd say, beam me up. <laughs> they <laughs> Wide shores and then this calm atmosphere and then suddenly the spaceship takes off yeah um i think the worst example that i came across would be and i'm going to bash something that people like again yeah i mean there's always somebody who likes something yeah yeah i'm sorry i mean i don't want to be harsh and critical i want to be positive and all that but this needs to be said um, Wizard's First Rule by Terry Goodkind was, I thought, a horrible book. And um, one of the reasons, the several reasons, but one of the reasons why it was such a bad book was um, I started reading it and I liked it at first. Uh, it, it, it was classical fantasy. Um, it felt a bit like uh, Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, traditional, good old-fashioned fantasy quest. And it was going along its merry way, and then suddenly there was this near-rape scene. It was almost a rape scene, but okay. And I thought, okay, that's kind of weird. It doesn't really fit with the rest, but okay. And I continued. And then halfway through the book, all of a sudden, the entire story stops for like a hundred pages of hardcore S&M, basically. Uh, (laughs) All right. Um, That's weird for fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a fantasy <laughs> for some people, but um, and then there <laughs> was then there fantasy. was this very gruesome scene in which a child is killed in a horrible way. Afterwards, it goes on, and suddenly there's this cute scene with a dragon, and you know, and it's fairy tale land again. Wasn't and this child's jaw kicked off or something? Yes, yes, the the child's, if I remember correctly. The the child's jaw was kicked off. By the main character. By the main character. That's horrible. By the hero, yeah. Okay. Uh, now, <clears throat> so anyway, I, I think that this is an example of... Something disgusting. <laughs> you know, this sort of almost fairy tale like innocence, 
fantasy quest stuff suddenly um, interrupted by really hard, gruesome, very, very R-rated stuff. Actually, what you just described is one of the reasons why I never was very interested in watching Game of Thrones. Because people yeah. kept telling us, uh, oh, you're Tolkien fans, you should watch Game of Thrones. It's fantasy and it's... And it's also fantasy, and it has a dragon, and it's fantasy, and it's the yeah, same People thing. just don't get... If you say that to us, you don't get why we like Lord of the Rings and Tolkien. It's not just because there's dragons and castles, you know? I mean, I like dragons and castles, but Game of Thrones is something completely different. <laughs> completely different. It's almost the opposite, right? <laughs> right. I was just thinking about... Uh, someone who took improv lessons with me who was not really into the fantasy genre but he was really interested and trying to understand why I loved it so much <laughs> and then one day he told me um, oh I came across a story that you will probably like it's it's uh, you like this wee magical <laughs> fairy tale stuff I can fly right <laughs> <laughs> I really laughed out loud because the way he described fantasy was so charming. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like a theme park uh, <laughs> ride. And and ever since I told Domin, we, we kind of made it a running joke. When we see a trailer of a new fantasy movie, we say, oh, it's this I can fly stuff. <laughs> well, some of it is, I guess. Uh, Peter Pan, uh, for example. <laughs> okay, that was a side note. But yeah, I, I guess in Game of Thrones... They can fly in Game, Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones is uh, <laughs> set in a kind of nihilistic universe where gruesome stuff can happen to anyone at any time. The world doesn't seem to have any meaning. Um, there doesn't seem to be any sort of it's, higher... There's no justice, right? There's no justice. There's no higher purpose to anything. It's, it's kind of just a... It's basically a, the sort of very <clears throat> modern... A nihilistic, atheistic sort of worldview uh, in a mythical fantasy setting. So it's like bad people get rewarded, good people get punished and stuff, uh, which feels really like random uh, yeah. sometimes. Because you, you invest uh, time in a character that you really like and then, and then he's finished off. I couldn't keep watching that, actually. It's it's kind of... People say, oh, but the real world is like that. And, well, I don't believe the real world is like that. But, I mean, I know that there is injustice in the real world, definitely. Lots of it. <laughs> That's not the point. I don't... What I don't believe is that the real world is like Game of Thrones, where it's so bad, basically, that, that nothing good survives. It's kind of... It's so. like in, in... You had... In the literature, you had realism, and then after realism came naturalism, where they exaggerate, where they focus so much on misery and drudgery and and, dirt. and yeah, and the hard life of of um, you know Poor people, people, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which you know was uh, Belgium's favorite literary period, yeah, uh, <laughs> probably, <yeah>. and <laughs> and then that. That whole literary uh, stream, like in, in, I guess, like in Game of Thrones, it sort of it goes too far in the in the misery parts. You know, it's it it it's nothing but badness everywhere, and and nothing redeemed. And you know, even if you think that that is what the world is like, um, and I don't, but okay, even if that's what you think, that's not what fantasy is for. I mean, why would you do that? In a fantasy setting, you know? Yeah, and, and I, I don't really like people saying Game of Thrones changed fantasy forever and for the good. I think that's actually that makes me sad. Because I think the fantasy genre is 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 unique and it's marvelous. And I would say that what George R. R. Martin does is something different with fantasy elements. Yeah. <clears throat> fantasy could... should be about the age-old um, grand narratives, I guess you could say, or sort of, <clears throat> sort of the 
archetypal stories that are part of our human makeup. The stories, that, the tales that really mattered. Yeah. <laughs> That's what fantasy is about and should be about always. And if you try to make it about something else, you should just do it in a different genre, I think. And I guess this is also a good example of uh, people uh, defending the series by saying, but it's original because it's never been done before. And it's not because it's original that it works for everyone. I think there are still fans and and I, I believe that there are people who love this combination of raw, realistic plot lines in, uh, in this fantasy-like setting. But it doesn't really appeal to me. I will probably never be a, a fan. Yeah, another thing that kind of bothers me a bit is it sort of reinforces this negative stereotype of the Middle Ages. You know, this sort of which is a, an idea that's become popular over time for various reasons. But that's not, re that's not really true of the Middle Ages being this incredibly dark time where everybody was killed by the plague or um, suffering under persecution, burned at the stake. At the stake. Um, yeah. Everybody was a religious fanatic and killed each other for no reason and whatever. I mean, all of that is just a ridiculous caricature, I think. In many ways, the Middle Ages were the, were the high point of Western civilization. But I think that uh, a lot of modern, especially modern stories, start from that stereotype. So it's, it's been with us for so many years, that stereotype no. in entertainment that people can hardly imagine anything else. It's one of those weird things. It's kind of like how... Pirates have become this sort of a thing for kids, yeah. <laughs> you know? These days, when you think of a, a story about pirates, usually you think it's going to be something for kids, you know? And kids like to dress up as pirates, and pirates are funny, uh, colorful people who say, Arr! and who have parrots, and, you know, but actually <laughs> pirates were real people who did horrible gruesome things you know they they were criminals they murderers ships, rapists they, they yeah. stole uh, other people's property and uh, so um, but now they're sort of they've got this sort of colorful and and uh, innocent image because right. because of you know so many toys and yeah our 2 year old son loves them he has bath toys uh, yeah. with pirates and uh, he called them pizza at first. Now he, he calls them pirate. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> I don't know where he got that idea from. but uh, It sounds kind of similar. At first, uh, pirate was a pizza for him. Uh, it took us a while to figure that out, but he loves them. He loves them while real pirates would probably eat two-year-old boys for dinner. So, uh, Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. but <laughs> Well, let's move on to the next uh, part we wanted to talk about the fact that originality can be a stumbling block. Yeah, yeah, in the creative process, yeah. Exactly. Um, on a personal note, when I was about six years old, I, uh, I wrote my first story, um, Alleen op de Wereld. It, it's, uh, uh, in English, it would be Alone in the World. And uh, it was about a boy who wakes up one day and his house is empty, his parents are gone, he leaves the house, all the streets and houses are abandoned, uh, and it's about his journey to survive, to get food, to basic needs, um, and of course to find out what happened to the world that is empty and, and fix it. And as I was writing that, it was, I still, I still have it somewhere in a notebook actually, it's, 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 it has terrible... Uh, handwriting because I was six. I, I was only learning to write and the, the sentences are really short because, you know, I was six years old. <laughs> but the, the story was um, was actually uh, developed and I remember being really proud of that, my first story and telling my mom uh, the title of it and she said, oh, but that title already exists. Uh, the story has been written by um, Hector Malo. Um, anyway, I, I believe um, the story was translated in English as Nobody's Boy. 
and it did exist and and what it did to me was i was so disappointed when i heard that uh, the story already existed that i stopped writing it and um yeah even though it was a completely different story because uh actually the the english title i think is closer to what it's really about uh the story so another example is when i was 16 i had started writing a fantasy novel i got really far with the idea it was practically finished at least in my mind it was it still needed a lot of brushing up though um but then i watched the first narnia movie and in my story there was this scene where the main character uses a wardrobe as a portal and people who know Narnia know that that's what brings the children to Narnia. By stepping into a wardrobe, they get into Narnia. And when I watched that, I was like, oh, it's been done. <laughs> and I stopped writing again. It's really too bad because, you know, again, you know, look at Star Wars. Um, spaceships, been done. The naive farm boy who has to become the hero. The princess who has to be rescued. The Dark Knight. You know, it's all yeah, been done. I know, it's just to illustrate that the importance that people attach to originality can really be a stumbling block when you're writing. Uh, to me, it was really dis- discouraging because I had this misconception that if I wrote uh, a novel or a story, it should be original. And I thought being original meant that there was no point in the story that had already been done. Not a single wow. scene. Well, imagine if you can do that. It's impossible. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever done it. I actually realize that now. But it took me a while. By the way, um, there's a lot of noise outside in the streets. There's some kind of party going on. So if if it bothers you, dear listener, there's not much we can do about it. Sorry. It bothers us too. Yeah, it bothers us too. I think they moved uh, Tomorrowland to our backyard. Oh, they did? (laughs) Okay. It's kind of small, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's our neighbors, uh, actually, okay. too. We don't have one. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, since it's confession time, for me, I wrote, you know, oh, this goes way back, when I wrote the first version of Witch Hunter. So if you um, have listened to our stories here on uh, YouTube or um, the podcast, Witch Hunter, as it is now, is, um, is a 13-hour dramatized audiobook but originally when it was first written it was a three and a half hour audio drama i remember that (laughs) yes and i had written that way back in 2007 8 9 Um, 7 i think because i remember it okay wow yeah and then it took a long time to make the audio drama and then afterwards I wanted to completely redo it and I first started redoing it in Dutch and then I thought this is stupid I should do it in English and I started over in English and so anyway the point is that the I, that Witch Hunter uh, has been with me for a very very long time and um, I remember when I'd written that first version I watched the trailer for the movie Solomon Kane and I thought wow this this is about a witch hunter, and, you know, it looks kind of cool, this movie. But it, I kind of felt like, uh-oh, it's been done, you know? Somebody else has, has done this. I didn't know that Solomon Kane had been around for a long time, that it, it was written by Robert E. Howard back in the, I don't know, the, the, the yeah. 30s or something. So you thought uh, you had written the first story in which the main character was a witch hunter? Well, uh, my inspiration came from... Warhammer Fantasy, from the the role playing game, especially, where um, the you know, in the world in the setting there were witch hunters, and yeah. I loved the art for that, and I loved the whole yeah, okay. the whole aesthetic, etc. Yeah. And uh, and that inspired me. Um, I had no idea that you know it had already been done um, with you know a main character like that in 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 a, in a right. serious story. And so I, I felt a little bit threatened by that. But then I, I saw the movie and, I, saw, and I, I, I really liked it. But I also saw, okay, this is something very different. And then a few years later, there was actually a book called Witch Hunter, which was in the Warhammer setting. It was a Warhammer fantasy book. And it was called Witch Hunter. And it was about a witch hunter. And 
you know, he had the same hat and everything. And then I thought, okay, now this really is <laughs> uh, close to my story. And isn't this a bad thing? And so I, I bought that book and I read it and I liked it. But it was a very different story. And a very different witch hunter also. But it still turns up more often in the Amazon search results, sadly. <laughs> well, it is it is Warhammer. I mean, it's kind of normal. It's it's published by an actual publisher. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, so, yeah, those things sort of, they also made me less motivated to write, to work on this story. Because it kind of makes you feel like, uh-oh, people are going to think I'm just a copycat and... You know, there's nothing special about my story, but, you know, you should kind of get over yourself. It's often, it's often a matter of people will think that, well, I think it's possible that lots of people get the same idea. It's just a, a matter of who comes up with it first. Yeah, and uh, the uh, truth is that um, we get a lot of comments on YouTube from people saying, wow, is this a Warhammer fantasy story? This feels so much like Warhammer etc etc and yeah uh, I was inspired by Warhammer by the aesthetic etc but it is it's a different setting and while it's similar in feel I'd say it's also different enough yeah so Uh, the the main character the 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 witch hunter concept was actually inspired by the character set up in the Warhammer fantasy roleplay but uh, another big inspiration for you was the Antwerp cathedral as well right yeah absolutely um i'm from antwerp and the cathedral there is my favorite building in the world i i have a kind of um special attachment to it it's kind of hard to explain but i do and i apparently one of the one of the architects was also a man named domine (laughs) funny fact yeah (laughs) funny fun fact (laughs) So yeah, and um, and and just the, the whole aesthetic of Gothic cathedrals and you know these sort of tall houses with step gables and it's just uh, the whole feel and the whole atmosphere. Just something about it really, really hits me. Really, I I really feel something with uh, when I see that, and I wanted to basically for me all the stories that I write start from atmosphere, a sense of a location. <clears throat> or a time or a place or something <clears throat> that puts me in a, a certain mood and I want to convey that mood. I actually think that often when we experience a story in any medium, we assume that the author found inspiration here or there. We immediately think of other stories uh, that it reminds us of, but it might very well be that you're thinking of a story that the author has never read so I think we often assume things about the author's motivation or inspiration that's not really true. Um, and, and talking about our own stories, when I uh, listened to the, the Will of the Woods for the first time, uh, the, the Dutch version, because we kind of worked on the, the English version, uh, the two of us. But when I listened to the, the Dutch version of the Will of the Woods... The story reminded me of Beauty and the Beast and, and also of E.T. So I, <laughs> I figured that th- those uh, were your most important uh, no. stories of inspiration. No, they, they really weren't. So tell us what really inspired you to write the story. It's a long time ago, but I seem to remember that I was walking in a forest and I saw a particular tree and it sort of stood apart and um, it was dead. But there were all these giant mushrooms growing on the the bark and I suddenly imagined lots of little windows in the mushrooms and I imagined uh, little creatures living in the mushrooms and inside the tree and um, I thought that was really cool. I I just thought it would be really atmospheric and cool that sort of location and and that did something and another major thing was there was a book that I was uh, browsing in uh, it was a bunch of fairy illustrations by Alan Lee and Brian Froud. <clears throat> and I really want I thought, yeah, this sort of this sort of world that they depicted with their illustrations in that in that book really appealed to me. I wanted to do something with that. Then um, I was listening to the score for the movie The Village a lot, 
which really sort of evokes the woods and yeah my voice sounds strange and then there were also the animated films of Don Bluth I was a very big fan of those that was a big inspiration and just in general lots of 80s fantasy movies like The Dark Crystal uh, like The NeverEnding Story, Legend, all of those influences that was really what made me want to do Will of the Woods and then I just started to imagine a story around that and at first I, I, had, I didn't really know what the story was going to have to be I just had a bunch of images and feelings and atmospheres and then I started to um, come up with the story but I never was really very conscious of Beauty and the Beast or of E.T. while I was writing it. Okay, uh, well, I, I think lots of stories, even the ones that are really original in that sense of that they uh, are new and fresh, many of those stories still are still inspired by lots of other stories, even on a, a, a subconscious level. So I don't think there's any story that's original that has not been influenced by anything or any other story at all that just doesn't exist, I think. There's nothing wrong with being influenced by other things, I think. Yeah, maybe um, this is a good spot to conclude our uh, podcast. Uh, we, we found this quote by C.S. Lewis. Even in literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth, without caring two pence about how often it has been told before, you will nine times out of ten become original without ever having noticed it. And once more, good old Jack says it better than we could. I think we can conclude that trying to be original can be a burden, really. It can be a stumbling block in the writing process, so if you get too obsessed with it, it could make you insecure and, you know, make it difficult to continue writing yeah. or, or even, you know, make your writing worse. So you shouldn't get too obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. A second conclusion we might draw is that um, a mix of popular existing story elements in a new way can actually be original. Yeah. Whether Avatar was or not, definitely there are countless examples of stories that are really just, at the core of it, basically a combination of famous elements. And that are really, really popular. And they're really popular, they really work. And finally, I think all that really matters is, does the story feel fresh to the audience? I mean, it shouldn't feel stale and overused. I mean, that's bad, obviously. Uh, you don't want it to feel like one big cliché or, or a, a series of clichés. It's not necessary to be able to brag about your story has never been done, this is completely new, uh, blah, 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 you know. No, that's not what it's about. Uh, it, it can be um, cool if, if you're the first to come up with something really original, but I don't think it's a short ticket to popularity, if, if, if that's what you want. If you want people to really like your story, it's, it depends on a lot of different uh, elements, I think. Yeah, it's not even a ticket to having something good, <laughs> which I think it should be your number one concern, is, is do something good. I think the best thing you should aim for is trying to do something that is somewhat innovative, somewhat refreshing or, or um, sort of something that evolves the particular niche that you're in. For example, if you, if you want to do a supernatural YA romance story, a lot of that has been done, of course. Uh, but, you know, wh- how, what can you come up with that makes your supernatural YA romance story a little bit fresh, a little bit different? Something that makes it worth reading amidst the tons of others that are out there. Right, uh, there are actually a lot of fans and readers looking for a very specific uh, genre, like the the werebear romance books were suddenly <laughs> a big hit. Uh, apparently, there are teenage girls really looking for werebear uh, romantic stories. So, what makes your werebear uh, romance different from others? <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about romance novels, but yeah. Uh, I, for it's just, me, I I think it's funny that it was a it was a big hit on Amazon. Yeah, I, it's so weird. That's why I keep coming. Yeah, it it is very strange. <laughs> but you I know, think there's a there's an audience for it, and 
maybe yeah. you, you can be original within the the very distinct subgenre of uh, yeah. <laughs> werebear romance. If at all possible, you should just write what you wish there was more of. You know that it's, I guess that's kind of what what every artist or storyteller does is just try to create something that you would want to see, that you would want to read and enjoy. But you find that there's just not enough of it. Right. So, in a way, that's actually the conclusion of all our podcast episodes. So, copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. Is it? Have you mentioned this before? Yeah, I think so. Um, It's been done (laughs) before. I thought this was an original episode. Nah, it's been done. Okay. Well, then, next time we'll come up with something completely original. And... In the meantime, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any comments, please write them in our YouTube comment box. Actually, we're really curious about the stories that, that you've experienced in, in any medium that you thought were particularly original. So if you want to share that in the comment section, that would be really nice. We're really curious about that. And we're always interested in discovering new stuff, of course, because we don't want to talk about the Hunger Games and the Lord of the Rings uh, all the time. <laughs> that wouldn't be original. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, um, it's true. I actually managed not to mention Tolkien too much today, right? Yeah, you did, you did well. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Stick around uh, on our YouTube channel or our podcast. Listen to our stories if you want. Witch Hunter, Will of the Woods and The Beast of the Western Wilds. You can support us by purchasing our stories from Bandcamp. If you do that, then you uh, get to listen to the entire story without, without interruptions. And you can also read the books, which you can find on Amazon amidst the tons of other witch hunter books uh, <laughs> and um, we look forward to talking to you again bye bye <laughs>